Hello, welcome back to Meraki Unboxed. My name is Simon Thompson, your host for today, and it's awesome to have you back with us once again. Uh, we are today uh, recording a special episode where we're going to bring in one of our technology partners to talk about uh, how they are using Meraki technology as well as other technologies to promote a brand new sort of business opportunity, which I think really does a good job of uh, bringing technology and the physical worlds together. So I'm very excited to get into that uh, conversation. Before we start that, I just want to do a quick reminder for anybody who's tuning in for the first time. Uh, we do this podcast every two weeks, and the goal that we have here is to try and provide you with valuable and interesting content to listen to. And that means that we love to hear uh, your feedback, and we also love to have your participation, which of course is how today's episode came about. So if you have any ideas for a show or you would like to be on the Meraki Unbox podcast yourself, do please reach out to me and you can find me very easily on Twitter. At Meraki Simon is my handle on there. And I check that every single day. So do please leave a message. And uh, even if it's just some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. I just know that you're enjoying the show. We know the kind of listenership we're getting and it's pretty healthy and consistent. So thank you so much for being with us and hopefully being a subscriber on here as well. Obviously, the easiest way to get these episodes into your smartphone or whichever device you prefer to use is to use uh, that subscription option. And of course, as we get back to, in certain parts of the world, slightly more normality, we start to get back in our cars and, and driving around and commuting again. We really hope to uh, be able to entertain you, provide some, some great stuff to listen to while you're doing that. Or if you're a healthy person, you're out running, something like that, whatever it is, I uh, would love to know how you're listening. So let me know, let me know. All right, let's get into today's episode. And I would like to welcome uh, Stephen Von Takach, uh, who is the CIO at PlaceOS. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you, Simon. Glad to be on the podcast. Very happy to uh, have you here as well. And where are you calling in from today? Calling in from Chile, Sydney, Australia. Ah, yes, of course. It's the middle of winter down there. <laughs> what do you call Chile in, uh, in Sydney? <laughs> oh, probably like 13 degrees. All right. So really not that chilly, but I, it's all relative, right? It's all relative. <laughs> exactly. and, and for anybody in the US, that's Celsius uh, and is actually quite a comfortable temperature. It's something like 50. I'm not brilliant at Fahrenheit. So hopefully that works. But um, thank you so much, Stephen. And you know, we're recording this at uh, at a time of day where it's fairly early for Stephen. So really appreciate him uh, joining us uh, at this time to uh, to join us on the show. So Stephen, tell us a little bit about what you do and, and your organization. <clears throat> uh, I'm one of the co-founders of PlaceOS, and uh, what we're really trying to do is create an integration platform where we take data from a whole lot of different sources and provide a common interface to access that data. And that's really powerful because uh, once you have that common interface, it's very easy to perform actions based on data that's coming from totally different sources. So that's sort of the crux of what we do. And that, that sounds very generic, but it ends up being quite a powerful solution once you mm. put everything together. I'm sure it does. And we'll definitely unpack a little bit of that as we get through this conversation. Um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, what, what attracted you into this space and, you know, how did you come to be joint, uh, joint co-founder of this business? I actually started at university and I got a job while studying, uh, working in the like AV department, which is effectively we were designing and programming 
lecture theatres. And as part of that work, I ended up writing a uh, digital signage solution for the university because they'd bought a solution that didn't work very well. And that went, that got patented. So we spun off a company to try and sell that bit of software, mm-hmm. more of a uh, feature, not a product. Like it's, it's a hard sell. But because of our experience in the automation space, we sort of pivoted towards building automation. That's what led you into into actually this business itself? Yeah, that's right. So um, we've gone through a few different rebrandings and we're probably on the third iteration of the product. It's It's been an interesting few years getting to this point. A lot of mistakes made in the early days you know, you're young and right. you, and and your vision is is clear, but the skills aren't quite there to get there. But I feel like at this point, our product is extremely solid and and battle tested in the marketplace as well. Yeah, the, the startup world is is definitely an interesting one. It demands so much so much energy, but it's also quite an exciting ride. I think I'm sure uh, I'm sure you have some good good stories and memories from the early days. But like you said, it's it's a journey, and you're learning super fast in that mode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so tell me a little bit about Place OS and the reason it exists. Like, what is uh, the problem that we're really trying to solve here? There's actually multiple layers to this. So our big focus at the moment is, has been uh, workplace experience. So the problem, some of the core problems in that area, if you're going to work, uh, you need to find a desk to sit, especially in modern workplaces where it's often hot desking, mm. or you need to find a colleague at work because it's a big building and you don't know where they're sitting. So solving those two problems are probably the most critical. Um, On top of that, there's room scheduling, so looking for a meeting room, these resources that are are quite limited, and there's a lot of demand for them. Absolutely. So making sure you can find those spaces to have a meeting or talk to a client, uh, all that kind of thing. Yeah, those I can definitely relate to that. The number of times that, uh, well, it's a, it's a distant memory at this point after, what is it, 15 months of working from home. But uh, I definitely remember before we were working in the office every day and meeting room space, just so elusive. I mean, you, you, you and, and just managing it. And, and what do you do if people have booked the room, but then they don't show up? There's, there's all kinds of, uh, of challenges there. And that's just one of those uh, use cases, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So we obviously try to free that room if no one turns up. But then there's the whole technology piece in the meeting rooms as well. So Mm -hmm. we control, say, the lighting, the the TV in that room, the video conference system. The whole idea is to make it as, as seamless experience as possible. Being able to see at a glance, like what meetings you have today, which rooms they're out, which rooms they're in, being able to click on a map to see where you need to go. The people in the meeting, like if there's back-to-back meetings, notifying the people in the room that their meeting has to end soon, things mm. like that. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> That's definitely a good one, especially because <laughs> meetings are often booked back-to-back. I I often wonder why all the calendaring software defaults to 30 minutes or one hour for uh, for meeting length because uh, it certainly doesn't help people in that regard, especially if you're a, actually you've got to walk around a physical building. Yeah, yeah. It's actually quite a challenging problem because the calendaring systems are quite solid 
in the way they allow bookings. Because we try to be flexible and, and let you, say, book using Outlook or, or Google Calendar or whatever. And then we're taking that data and analyzing it. But we do have clients that where we've built custom room booking experiences for because it just makes it easier to filter for features that you want, mm. like capacity, this technology mix, um, I want catering and things like that. And then we can enforce, say, a five-minute buffer from the app side. But then if they book from the calendaring system, you can't enforce that buffer. So then we've just come up with like unique ways of notifying people that the time is almost up mm-hmm. without interrupting the meeting. I like it. I, I could, I can picture a traffic light system like they do with uh, speakers on a stage. Like <laughs> we got your uh, <laughs> green, amber, red. Um, no, I think that's great stuff. And, and, you know, just taking it a step back to the, this kind of concept of experience, I think it's a very interesting one and, and one which has certainly getting, gained a lot of attention more recently. And, and for good reason, because, People respond well to good experiences and they come back. And so when we think about how we satisfy our customers, if they're having good experiences, that's obviously a reason to go back to that vendor again. But even for employees, I mean, if you want to retain like your best talent, you've got to make it as easy as possible for them to be as productive as they want to be there. There's all these little ways in which you can remove friction from the sort of physical environment and some of the technology challenges that we have, right? Yeah, these days especially, trying to trying to encourage people to come back to the office. I'm, I'm not sure how far along the U.S. is on that path, but in Australia, uh, there's been a big push to try and encourage people back to the office. Mm. And so, I don't know, the solutions people are coming up with around, like, gamifying the office, free coffees if you come in on Mondays and things like that. Right, nice. Um, <laughs> because... I feel like working from home's good. People probably don't need to be in the office as much as they used to be, but you st- it's still good to have that office interaction because oh, yeah. there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of uh, interesting connections that can be made. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's it's definitely something that you adjust to this working from home thing, and I think that certain types of work you can absolutely do very effectively at home. But that sort of serendipity side of things, you know, that sort of just uh, having a conversation over the water cooler or or a cup of that free coffee that you were talking about. I mean, this that stuff is priceless, and it really can make a difference to how uh, how effectively teams can collaborate together. So, you know, you, you mentioned the US, and and I think as we're recording this, I mean, we're at the stage really where uh, businesses are just starting to. Uh, consider their reopening plans and and maybe the the sort of critical staff are now starting to come back um, but it's it's inevitable what's going to happen and and I think the interesting thing is it's unlikely to go back to what it was before that's what we've been hearing from everybody everywhere and so that this mix in itself is going to throw up some interesting uh, technology challenges because now you've got to think about how you manage inclusion when not everybody who is relevant for a meeting is actually physically in the room with you yeah, and there's other things as well because companies are downsizing the amount of office space they have, which means if everyone rocked up to work at once, there's probably not enough desks, mm-hmm. or at least that's sort of the experience that's happening in Australia. So then it becomes even more important to be able to locate those free desks. Yeah, absolutely. So if we if we think about this concept of um, smart 
buildings. That's something which I think probably many people will have heard that term before, and it's been used for for a number of years. And and I'm sure that we're a good way on that journey. But I'm quite curious because I'm, you know, I've heard of some of the things we're using and some of the sensors that we're using, and obviously Meraki has some of those as well. Um, where do you consider us to be on this journey of smart buildings? What is what is kind of hot in the world of smart buildings right now? Some of the areas that we're getting into uh, is fully integrating with the BMS systems. That is the... So it's reasonably... Which one is that? Uh, the building building management systems. Of course. <laughs> so uh, the very low-level systems for security, HVAC, plumbing, and mm. all the various different building sensor systems. We've done quite a lot in the security space, and I feel like that's, that's added a lot of uh, smarts to a building. Uh, so visitor flows, for instance, if you invite a visitor to a building, depending on uh, what technology mix is in the building, we can generate a, say, Bluetooth access card for them mm-hmm. that allows them to use their phones to get to the meeting that they've been invited to without having to go through secure, any, any kind of like check-in at, at a concierge desk or anything like that. Um, they just have direct access to get to the floor they need to be on. Nice. And part of, and part of that process is they swipe through the gates. We detect that swipe. We can notify the host that the guest has arrived and they're on their way up. If they log into the Wi-Fi system, so we've, integrated with Meraki's captive portal Mm -hmm. and that allows us to track the guests through the building so the host can see where they are where they are and make sure they're not going to the wrong place or doing something they're not meant to I mean one of the clients we had enforces that so they have to go through the captive portal system before they get their swipe card access Mm -hmm. and then that also ties into say emergency systems so if the fire alarm goes off we know who's in the building roughly because most people take their phones so we can look at the various APIs of Meraki and be like, we can see six mobile phones still in the building, which is really helpful when engine arrives and we're trying to work out who's still in there or who's, who's exited. Mm. There's so many, so many components to this and uh, you, know, you can really see how we can just remove various levels of friction from an experience for a guest coming on site i mean we all know we've all experienced that thing where we go to a strange company and we have to sort of deal with the security and the and the sort of all of the getting registered and all of that side of things um this sounds like a much more well it's it really is the smartest way to do it right you're leveraging all the technology that's available uh, already today but just pulling it all together into one cohesive experience yeah exactly so I guess this is what um, PlaceOS is essentially uh, trying to help do, right? But there's there's so many different aspects to it. How do you describe uh, the way that PlaceOS is helping? If you're if you're you know in front of a client for the first time uh, pitching your solution, you know how do you begin that conversation? So usually it's we start with examples because I I feel like a lot of clients or potential clients haven't even thought about. A lot of these experiences, people don't know what's possible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually sometimes frustrating when you get a, a, like an RFI or an RFP and they've, they've uh, specified in very succinct terms that this is what we're after. And you're sort of like, eh, it seems a bit limited, really. Right. I mean, <laughs> it wouldn't 
take much to make this into a much more expansive solution. So yeah, I feel like it's it's looking at case studies is the initial touch point mm-hmm. and then letting the clients come up with their own ideas for their building because a lot of it does hinge on the technology mix. So new buildings, uh, it's often easier, especially if we get in early and, and work out what experiences the client actually wants because then they can they can select technologies that will make that all possible. Right. And so older buildings are usually more limited, which is actually why Meraki is great, because um, a lot of the older buildings install Meraki. And and that, just say Meraki and, and Office 365 or Google, uh, those two technologies give you most of the experiences you could, you could want from a workplace. Mm. So they're sort of the keystone technologies I'd, I'd say like a calendaring system that everyone uses and and then a, a a good backbone for being able to locate people on a network mm-hmm. and i feel like meraki makes it a, makes it easy like if you want to deploy it as a, a as a SaaS solution it's very easy with those two technologies as well um as soon as you get into the the inner workings of a building and you're touching the actual technology in the building, then clients are a bit more nervous about where their data is going. So we often will deploy on their uh, private clouds or their private data center because we don't really care about that data, but we want the client to feel safe and secure with their physical access and, and network access and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people are, understandably, I mean, we all are uh, very wary of giving away more information than we need to. But as you said, it's really serving a very specific purpose in this case. Um, it's totally, completely understandable. Also liked what you said about the uh, the RFPs, so having to quote for, for businesses who assume that they've already figured all this out and they know exactly what they want. It is it is always a challenge because uh, you don't know what you don't know. And, and so for any business, it's a, it's really so valuable to just be able to have a conversation uh, so that you can sort of get those creative juices flowing and, and spark some ideas. Like you said, I'm sure your, your customers start coming up with all kinds of ideas that, and that, that helps you as well in turn. So um, thinking about the the examples, the case studies, uh, you know, which are your favorite ones? Which, which ones do you uh, start with typically? The guest access systems, the ones that I really enjoy because that's a product. I end up going to client sites quite a lot and that is really a jarring and annoying experience for me. Um, so being able to make that seamless for an organization is exciting. I feel like the the Meraki wayfinding and, and, and people finding and desk finding is also one of my favorite solutions just because you can visualize everything on a map, mm-hmm. you know, see capacity of various areas and... It's just a nice visual feedback of what's happening in the building. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking at uh, the list of technology integrations that you have uh, on your website, and it's a pretty long list. And, and you know, I think we've just scratched the surface with some examples around sort of location and uh, and and sort of sensors and things like that. Uh, talk us through some of the other technology integrations that you focus on um, that, that make up this big picture you're able to to provide for your customers. Yeah, so I mean, it's really just 
because it's all experience driven there's just a lot of different bits of software and hardware that companies install and use uh, so it might be a messaging platform and we want to have say a virtual catering system and people can order coffee from the meeting room using a chatbot or something like that uh, then there's say one one of the things we're doing more recently is like uh, desk bookings uh, mm-hmm. so to be covid safe right. i mean there's some regulations in various parts of the world and people have to book a desk and then they want manager approval so we're using directory services to work out who's this person's manager and getting them to approve the office visitation um yeah, and then just the range of sensors in a building from motion sensors to people counters to air quality sensors. Mm. And air quality is an interesting one because if you integrate it with the air conditioning, you can turn that up and down based on, on air quality or open windows even. And yeah, then just the range of different different meeting rooms and conference rooms and presentation spaces and all the technology that goes into those those systems yeah and a lot of that technology has been around for obviously quite a while um do you find that uh, you're, you're able to get the hooks that you need uh, with a lot of this or does it really require sort of latest and greatest Oh no! So it's been around for a long time. I mean, a lot. Of, sometimes that's the actual challenge because they're using such insecure protocols. Mm. So we did work for. I mean, we've done a couple of banks, and their network requirements are obviously extremely strict. And just getting access, sometimes getting access to the the more simpler devices is the more difficult uh, problem, just due to the fact that they run like a really old version of Android or mm. or just the protocol is fully clear text and it's just a security nightmare for some organizations. Yeah, that's but, the one challenge with this technology. There's just so much to keep on top of with uh, with keeping OSs up to date and security patches and all the rest of it. Yeah, and I, I feel like there's a lot of exciting new technology. So Google's, yeah, I think it's Connected Home IP mm-hmm. Consortium, which where Google, Apple... Amazon and a few and a lot of other companies, Zigbee, I think, as well, have come together to create a unified um, IoT platform. It's mostly based off Thread, which is Google's IoT network, mm-hmm. and um, it should alleviate a lot of those problems because the actual uh, networking protocol is extremely secure. So it's sort of like secure in depth and. Even when the software is out of date, it shouldn't really affect the actual network. So that's reasonably exciting. It'll be interesting to see the uptake of the, the, that sort of technology because it's, it's coming out of the home IoT, but it's uh, being made enterprise ready. Right. And, and that's one of the interesting things about this because it's something that we can all relate to. We all have these uh, these technologies in our homes and and quite often it's more advanced than what we find in the office in a lot of cases so it's, it's good to hear that uh, that it's helping to sort of drive innovation uh, in the office environment and like you said we've got all these compelling events happening around us now around hot desks and you know people coming back to the office in a different way to how they were before so there's certainly a lot of opportunity it seems uh, in front of us there so so 
let's just talk about the Meraki integrations quickly. I mean, you've touched on those a couple of times already. Uh, talk me through the uh, the the APIs themselves, the the use of those, how you found them, how easy they've been to integrate into what you do. Uh, you know, maybe maybe just give me a sense of of what you're taking advantage of on the Meraki side. Yeah, so Meraki is probably the easiest platform we've worked with. Um, I didn't pay. I, you, I we didn't. The, we didn't pay you to say that, did we? No, no. <laughs> okay. Um, I I feel like it's because it's it's a software as a service uh, system. Uh, it makes it very easy uh, because there's on there's only a few touch points that need to happen, mm-hmm. whereas when you're looking at say other Cisco hardware, you're often integrating with solutions that sit on site, which I mean, so there's, which makes it a little bit more challenging, but the captive portals, uh, been a very interesting one. because that allows a lot of guest experiences. Mm-hmm. Then we use the dashboard API mostly for discovery, but also we actually do desk tracking without sensors effectively. So a lot of businesses have sensors on their desks if it's hot desking, as well as, they say, the Wi-Fi. But if you're working at an engineering firm, you might have physical displays on the desks and then mm-hmm. you dock your laptop. And that dock is connected to a switch and we can look at whether the ports have gone high uh, to decide whether someone's sitting there. Right. Uh, there's a lot of nuance around that because sometimes the docks hold the port high but then they don't have a mac address so then you can see does it is the port high and there's a mac address and then we can use the mac address to try and work out who owns that laptop and mm-hmm. we do that by integrating with uh say the directory services and we can look at the logs so we actually analyze authentication logs so just a totally separate integration Right. which gives us an IP address and a username. And then we look up that IP address and find that it's associated with this MAC address sitting at this desk. And so then we can say this person is sitting at this desk because they dock their laptop there. So it's a, it's a very accurate uh, way of uh, looking at desk utilization and where someone's definitely sitting. And so that's all using mostly dashboard API. Mm-hmm. And then for Wi-Fi, we mostly use the scanning API. Yeah, and and you know, like you said, all of this is for a reason. It's it's really because of those compelling use cases that we have uh, in our physical spaces that we that we leverage this kind of technology, and it makes it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and what people don't realize, I think, is that all these systems are there already. They're all the information's there already. Mm-hmm. So sometimes. People are nervous about being tracked in inverted commas because we do quite a lot of work to not actually track anyone in an identifiable manner mm-hmm. unless you're actually searching for them. We only look up who is which dot when you actually want to locate somebody. Otherwise, it's all just MAC addresses moving around a building. Yep. But that information all ex- exists on on pretty much any wireless network or any network really um, already. And you've already got your authentication logs happening in the background. So just being able to pull that information together to come up with a cohesive view of uh, what's happening in the environment is is quite powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, the, the technology has been allowing us to do various forms of 
you know, identifying a location, at least of a device for, for quite some time. So I think it's just, as long as you play fair and people are aware that you're using it and the reasoning behind it, then, uh, then I think it's a lot easier to, to implement. Okay, well, let's let's turn our, our attention to the future then. What do you see next for this technology? What is it that you're, you get frustrated about that you would love to be able to do uh, in this space, but but you're currently unable to? There's not there's not much that you that isn't possible these days. Like if you have a have a vision for something, it's it's often with enough money, <laughs> right? Uh, possible to achieve. But I am excited about the MV Sense cameras. They should offer a wide range of new experiences, mm-hmm. lowering the cost of, say, instead of having desk sensors, we can use a camera to work out if people are sitting at desks or not, which sort of lowers the cost and, and technology barrier and installation and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's exciting. I, I feel like a lot of the the biggest barrier is probably configuration. So actually collecting data and collating things, which I'm not sure is an easy problem to solve. So like if you want to know if someone's sitting at a desk and they've got a dock on the desk, there's a cable run going back to a back room Mm. and you have to document what, which port that desk is plugged into. And, and that is probably the biggest challenge in terms of doing a, a, a smart building these days. Hmm. There's a lot to think about, and and all of it's relatable. I mean, that's what's interesting. I think about this kind of work is is you know, you, I'm I'm quite sure that you get you're getting deep into the weeds on code and and implementation via a number of different APIs. But as far as explaining it, it, it certainly tells good stories. So uh, that's that's a nice place to be. I think. I guess the the, the last question I have is is where people can learn more about PlaceOS. Uh, yeah, PlaceOS.com is probably the the biggest resource people are welcome to shoot me an email as well which is steve at placeos.com yeah fantastic and actually i had a look at the website myself and there's some great explainer videos on there so um good good way to sort of get a sense uh, above and beyond what we've discussed today uh you know what what is capable with this technology all right, Stephen, that has been such an interesting conversation. We've touched on so many different interesting use cases there. And it's just great to see, again, how not just Meraki, but other all, the, all of the different sources that you're using, how it can be brought together to really enhance the experiences that we're providing in our workplaces. And, you know, I think I think uh, there's a lot of food for thought there. And again, I would just say uh, for our listeners, if you have any ideas that you'd like to contribute, uh, obviously Stephen's provided you do with, uh, with, his, with his contact details there. Reach out to Stephen, reach out to us, whatever works for you. Uh, we're all learning together in this, uh, in this big journey. So Stephen, thank you once again. Really do appreciate your time today. Thanks, Sam. It's been a pleasure. All right, so thank you again for joining Meraki Unboxed. We will be back in a couple more weeks with another episode. Uh, So until then, stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you back here soon. Bye-bye for now.